Hello and welcome to the ProGrace podcast, having new conversations about abortion. I'm Angie Wesley. I am here again with Denise Stein. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I have another funny story to tell about. Oh, <laughs> no, not again. <laughs> We're in Santa Monica. We're so excited to be here. It's sunny out. And we're joined by our dear friend, Lacey Mason. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Lacey is a qualitative researcher and strategic consultant. And more than that, our dear friend, we've known you for 11 years now. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. We met when we were 13. And, uh, <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so we're, we're in L.A., and uh, I'm trying to think what story to tell, Denise. Oh, Uber come story. on. Come on. You're okay. ruining my global I reputation. I won't. I won't. I won't ruin your global reputation. But I will tell everyone we've had a very full day. As I say in our family, we had a big day today. That's right. We yeah. did have a big day. So hopefully we're able to have this conversation. I think we will, because I do think we all live and breathe this stuff. At the same time, we've been a bit punchy. So if we start laughing, Denise, just no wheezing. <laughs> I told them, don't make me laugh because I can't stop. And then I'll have to leave the podcast. So. Uh, so I'm really excited today because, you know, in having the conversation about abortion, one thing that the three of us have felt strongly about ever since we first um Ever since Lacey first did research that we were able to, um, oh my gosh, I'm so tired, I can't speak, hear, (laughs) we were able to hear and process, as we felt like this piece of understanding what a woman is going through when she faces an unintended pregnancy is sadly something left out a lot of times of our conversations about abortion. So it can feel like we're talking about her, above her, but not really getting in an understanding. So Lacey is, you've done how many pieces of research for us now? Oh my goodness. Um, I see like six projects at least. Yeah, probably at least six. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you didn't think you'd be an expert in um, (laughs) (laughs) this issue, but you are now. Subject matter expert in this. No. But you are now and just completed another round of research. And so that's the conversation we want to have today is, by understanding where women are really coming from, what they're experiencing, how does that inform our conversations mm-hmm. about abortion and how can we you know, be more of a support? So I don't know who wants to jump right in. I know the first time, Lacey, that I heard uh, the first research you did in 2008, there was a piece there. It was verbatim from a woman speaking, and she said, I felt so stupid that I was pregnant. And I just remember that word stupid um, – went into my soul. And it was really a very strong reaction I had of this is not right. It was like a pound the table response. Like, this is not right that she would carry that feeling of being stupid and shame over this. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So and I know Denise, too, it's been life changing for you. And a lot of the progress journey is based on that. But Lacey, for you, what what's the journey been like for you? Or where are you sitting at now with this research? Many years ago, when um, when I was first introduced to um, you all and the work that you're doing, um, I had been praying for um, a while that I was asking God to um, use me somehow to bridge the work that I was doing professionally mm. into um, His work, into um, some kind of issue that He, you know, is where he's moving, what he cares about, mm. some kind of kingdom work. And mm. I, I, the prayer was not any more specific than that. Um, you might have wanted it to be a little more specific if you didn't want to <laughs> in be retrospect. Yeah, right. <laughs> issue. In retrospect. Careful I left what a, you I left pray the door very for. wide open. Yeah, exactly. Um, and 
uh, after some time after that had been happening, um, our common connection, who is my father, um, connected with me and said, you know, I, there's this lovely organization. We have a connection with them. They're wanting to do some research. Are you interested? And I was like, yes, absolutely. I'm interested. Who is it? I, I, I want to work for, you know, a nonprofit. I want to, I want to expand what I'm doing. And, and he, um, told me a little bit ab- about you all, but, um, mostly that it was a center for women who are facing unexpected pregnancy and that you were interested in, in understanding that more because the overall goal is to, um, you know, shift the response to abortion and, and just the number of abortions in America. And, and I thought, Oh no, (laughs) this is anything but that. Right. Exactly. I just, was not excited about it. And and that's... You've never told me you weren't excited about it. I wasn't excited about it. I felt um, mm. dread is maybe too strong mm. of a word, but um, <laughs> that was born out of my own tension. Okay. In that um, everything in our social climate and even within the church, when it comes down to abortion, is just traditionally always been so aggressive and and so polarized and and I it has always felt wrong to me mm. you know I I just have have had never been able to engage with the issue because I never had a way to uh, there was never a sense I had of like this feels right this feels like an appropriate response this feels like uh, a, a way that Jesus would respond to this and so <clears throat> I just sort of disconnected from it and then, and then when the opportunity came to do this research, I was like, well, you know, I'm not, <laughs> this wouldn't have been my first choice. <laughs> um, Can we okay. revise that prayer? God? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, fine. You know, yeah. I'm willing to trust that God has a purpose in this and, and there's a reason for me to do this. And um, <clears throat> so based on what your objectives were, you know, you wanted to understand the experience of women facing unexpected pregnancy. I thought, well, that's what I do right. in my work is I, I help people understand people better. And I, I get to some of those, uh, deeper drivers behind what's really influencing our behavior and our decisions and I thought, well, this is a, an important thing to do. You know, this is a really important thing to understand, regardless of where you stand on the issue or how you approach it. At the very least, we should understand what women's experiences yeah. are really like. Yeah. And so we started in with that first piece of research. And um, I can remember, um, you know, we, we went to Karis and, and we sat down with women and, and we let them tell their stories. And we let them tell their story from the very beginning of what it was like to find out they were pregnant and and all the way through um, what it was like to to sit with that and the impact it had on themselves and their identities and the way they thought about themselves and felt about themselves and, and the messages that they received from their family and friends. And, and I just remember coming out of those interviews feeling just like having such a deep sense of sorrow. Mm. Um, Not only just for what they were going through, but 
for the fact that nobody's ever stopped to ask them mm-hmm. what right. it was like. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least nobody that I had ever encountered before. Right. I had never seen that part of the story told. Right. I had just seen and heard people speaking very loudly and very confidently um, about what their experience should be, um, but not what it actually is. Mm -hmm. And so to hear that from them, I felt so honored, first of all, to receive those stories from them. And then, um, and, and then in sharing those stories with you and in sharing the learning from that research, um, watching, you all at that time take that information and take those insights that I, I believe God revealed to us yeah. mm-hmm. um, and really apply it to the client services model and, and to the work that you were doing and then getting to do that subsequent research to, to, to watch how um, he was using that mm-hmm. and how he was working through you all and Karis to change um, the the resources and the way that you were serving them, but then how their lives were changed as a part of that and, and kind of following that process and that journey with them over probably what, like five years Mm -hmm. or so. Mm -hmm. It was, um, it just has been, I think probably the, what feels to me like the most significant work I've ever Mm. done in my life. Wow. Um, and the most impactful work in terms of really um, understanding people's needs and applying that understanding to to change things for them and mm-hmm. to help create a better experience. And so um, it's funny now I've gone from being completely disconnected and disengaged from this whole issue because I just couldn't deal with it mm-hmm. to, you know, here we are all these years later, 11 ish years later and I'm still doing this research and I'm still like now I'm I have so much passion about mm-hmm. it and and now the the problem the things that I want to understand and the problems that I want to research and, and solve are they're just getting bigger yeah, you know right, right. we're not like <laughs> we haven't hit the bottom of this yet yeah, but yeah. but he keeps infusing me with more energy and passion yeah. and, and just um just such a heart for helping other people um, helping our culture and, mm-hmm. and especially helping the church understand what this is really like and and um, how to re- how to receive that information and how to respond to that with grace and compassion yeah. and and um, really make a difference in women's lives in children's lives in yeah. men's lives I mean it becomes exponential right, right. Um, the lifetimes that are impacted by one woman's experience uh, with this and many people, but especially her own. I just love, I love how God works. And even just hearing you, excuse me, share this again. um, My memory of that time was, you know, Angie and I coming into to lead this organization in Chicago and both coming from outside of the space of unintended pregnancy and abortion, but asking right away when we got there kind of two key questions. And one of them was, what is it really like for a woman when she faces an unplanned pregnancy? And do we really know, do we really understand her? 
And we were asking that question, but we didn't necessarily know how to have it answered. And then God brought you. And what a beautiful partnership it's been because we learned so much from the initial research and have every time we do about a woman's experience and just the gift that you brought in your work and your expertise to help us pave the way toward what is now pro-grace and, and where we're heading in terms of yep. training. and Well, and I'll be honest, I'll be transparent. I think the specific question I had uh, for that research was, why do women have abortions? So I came into this organization where the mission was to see fewer abortions, and that's you know what it was then. And, and so um, I just was like, has anyone ever asked the question mm. of why women have abortions? Yeah. But I still was really focused on abortion. It was very narrow, but, you know, you know, thankfully it was at least why do they? And I I remember the research started to open up my mind so much more to other pieces of, um, challenge for women, right? Like it it started to go beyond just the abortion. And I think that was a key piece in the journey Mm -hmm. of, and to Denise's point, that's a better question to ask what you were saying. Mm-hmm. What are they really going through yeah. and, and what would Jesus be doing? I think I was still really focused on the abortion issue. And isn't that just like God to just start to mm-hmm. break it open a bit and say, there's more going on here. This has been a pretty simplistic yeah. um, view. Um, just women are selfish. And I remember asking someone, okay, I asked someone who had worked in this field for a long time. Why do you think women have abortions? And she looked at me and said, selfishness. Mm. And I remember just thinking, that can't be it. But that is kind of, if you drill down, it it is the narrative for Mm -hmm. some in the Christian. It was interesting. I was talking to my husband, who's very wonderful and and, and not at all judgmental Mm -hmm. and progressive. He's like, you know, before you started talking about this, I didn't realize it. But that's kind of what I thought. Mm -hmm. I don't think we realize that we think that. And I think that's why you're research is so important to this mm-hmm. is um, it breeds empathy and understanding mm-hmm. and this isn't, oh, how could someone do this? Well, actually, you trained some of our staff to do some research at one point, remember? And I yeah. heard them saying, they even used to think, how could someone have an abortion? And this um, gal said to me, after I did the research, I found myself thinking, how could she have the baby? You know, because you put yourself into the story, which is what's so powerful about what you're doing. Well, and I think the beauty of this research, all the research that you've done, and and maybe you could speak to this, Lacey, is how it uh, reveals the complexity of a woman's experience and the depths of her grief and a shattered identity and sense of loss. I mean, the layers and layers, again, as Angie said, that, that... um, when you hear and understand, it just and and try to visualize yourself in in that place and in their their space. It it does nothing but give you empathy and an understanding of wow, you know, this is huge. This is so much more than we've ever really talked about or heard before. Yeah, <clears throat> I I I would say that. One of the keys to doing really great research, regardless of what the topic is, is to always enter into it um, 
practicing this discipline of trying to let go of what you think the answer is. Mm, yeah. You you have to approach things with a beginner's mind. You you can't assume mm-hmm. that you know the answer going into the research. You have to go in and say I don't I don't actually know what this is all about. And so um you all gave me the space to do that and that has always helped. Um <clears throat> but you know, once once you get into really deep research in pretty much anything that you study, you find that there's layers and layers and layers to everything. And that can be about what brand of paper towel you purchase. Mm-hmm, I mean, it, it mm-hmm. we, we're, as human beings, we're really complex. Mm, complicated. And, and we are, we ourselves are not even consciously aware of why we make the decisions right. that we make. Right. You know, we think we are, right. but we're not. It's happening on a level in our brain that is, is really deep. Um, and the reason why, you know, God designed our brains that way is because if we had to be deeply and, and, um, like super consciously aware of every decision that we made, we wouldn't be able to function. Mm, mm. It takes too much, too much time to do it. And we need to be able to move through our lives. And so we have things in our brain that just, do that work for us mm. and it's based on mental models that we have and and heuristics and shortcuts and i mean the the our our brains are these amazing incredible creations right but it's deeply deeply complicated yeah everything that we do yeah and we don't but we don't think about that no i think your dad said we all make emotional decisions and then use logic to explain why we do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we rationalize but it. But that's not what we think about ourselves. No. We mm-hmm. think we're making logical decisions. Simple logical. And then you throw a really traumatic or crisis experience into that mix, if you will. And I would imagine that makes our brain even more well, complex sure. and complicated as we're trying to struggle through. Yeah. I mean, essentially what happens when a woman finds out that she's, you know, pregnant and and wasn't intending to be or expecting to be, um, she enters into just a fracture of her identity. Mm. She's just separated immediately from the person who she knew herself to be. She's no longer that person. Nothing uh, feels the same or makes sense in the same way. The, The way she had always thought about herself or imagined her future is gone but she doesn't have a new story to replace that with. Mm. Um, And on top of her not knowing how to feel about herself, she's getting a lot of messages Mm. from the world, from whether they're perceived or real. She's actually getting communications from people, Mm. but but these messages make her feel um, a lack of worth, that she's stupid, as you were, yeah. you know, bringing that up. That she's reckless. That she's um, uh, a lot of language that they'll use. She's, you know, promiscuous. That she's a slut. That she's. <clears throat> and those were me. words that were actually used. sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there's yeah. a sense that uh, she's lacking in some sort of uh, 
moral capacity, right? And these are people not necessarily from a faith background, which is important. This oh, is anyone. coming from people anyone. with any type of, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So go on. Um, she will uh, either actually or have a perceived fracture in all the relationships in her life. She will isolate herself or become isolated from her support structures because of judgment, because of disappointment, because of um, frustration, whether it be a, you know, a parental relationship or even just um, fear of telling people can cause her to, to become isolated. As we're seeing more often than not, the, the partner her, her boyfriend or whoever, you know, she was with who, who partnered with her in um, getting her pregnant often disappears from the story. So not always. Because, not always. Not right. always. But, but you, it, you're hearing consistency in the research it, that... It happens a lot. I yeah. mean, it happens too much to ignore, yeah. to mm-hmm. pretend like it's not happening. Yeah. It mm-hmm. doesn't always happen, but it yeah. happens a lot. Yeah. So she finds herself isolated. She's feeling really terrible about herself. She's getting messages that other people feel really terrible about her too. And then, and then she has to imagine her future and not only her own, but the future of now another person as well. And what a, what a, what a weight to carry. Um, You know, when you, you, can't come up with a positive story about yourself that you're able or capable of taking care of yourself and providing for yourself and building a future for yourself. How are you supposed to do that for two of you, you know, for another person too? I think one of the most powerful um, parts of the initial research for me was when uh, you discovered that when a woman sees that pregnancy test or experiences in that moment that she is in fact pregnant and it's unintended, that it feels the same emotionally as if she was just told she has a terminal illness. So like a, a, just a sense of death of, of that type of, of loss that my life is over. Um, just on that kind of deep core level, that is really powerful. Well, she, she does go through a death of self. I mean, it feels that way because that's what's happening. The person who she was before is gone. Mm-hmm. Not, and this happens for women, whether you're planning to be right. pregnant or not. Like right. when, even when you're trying to have a baby, once you find out that you're pregnant and you're entering into this life transition, you're not the same person who you were before. Mm-hmm. You know, things fundamentally change about your identity. Um, when this happens for women who are not wanting necessarily or, or expecting to be pregnant, it it sounds like the way they describe the stories sound exactly like when I interview patients who mm. have just been given a cancer diagnosis. Yeah. You have a fracture of identity. I'm no longer that person. And that person has died. And I can't ever go back to that. Mm. And now who am I? I don't know. Yeah. I'm a sick person now. Yeah. I'm a person who's dying now. I'm a person who, you know, has no future. And it's similar language and similar ways that they, um, that they describe their stories. I I was thinking about, um, one of them shared that one line, uh, in one of her stories about, it was as though I had 
dug a grave for myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what's happening on yeah. an emotional level. And that's a, that's a visualization of death, isn't it? A grave. I mean, well, and that, that has shame in it too, right? Because it's not that someone did this to me. I, I think she said I dug myself into a grave. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's the both, the heaviness yeah. of total blaming herself, even though there were two people there when she got mm-hmm. pregnant and, you know, but then the death mm-hmm. too. So it's, Speaking to the layers and the complexity, that has both of those pieces in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in the midst of that, there's this other factor that's huge that she has a limited amount of time to make this huge decision while she's in that place. And that's just beyond comprehension of trying to navigate that Um all at the same time, really within a matter of a few weeks of needing to make a decision about what she's going to do about this unintended pregnancy. Yeah, I mean, in a matter of a few weeks, I mean, just imagine, just like just imagine this for a moment that you're having to process this volume of information about yourself now and who you were and who you are and all of your relationships and your future and, and major, major stuff while feeling, um, so disappointed in yourself and in the situation and, and deeply, um, a deep sense of grief Mm -hmm. over what's happening and, and also make a decision about it right now. Yeah. You know, and, well, and, and, and also make a decision that affects everyone's life forever, right yeah, now. Right. But you can't talk to anybody because that was one of the other things. Um, the research you just did, that line, I needed help, but there was no one I could go to for help. So that pressure, too, of making it in isolation. Oh, yeah. Not, not even having someone there to help process this yeah. with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's when you, I mean, when you really think about it, it's, kind of a ridiculous insurmountable task. Yeah, insurmountable to ask of is any a great person. Word. Yeah. And and not you know there there is this perception out there that you know all abortions are had by teenage moms or whatever and that is absolutely not the case. But just if we're going to stick with that perception for a minute, think about doing all of that when you're like 17 years old right. yeah. or 20 right. years old right. Right. or whatever, right. you know, like I'm 43 and I'm just now starting to feel like I can process information right. while I make good decisions. <laughs> so like, and those are not even like that important of decisions. Like what kind of car should we buy? Right. And I'm 56 and I think I'm getting worse at it. <laughs> well, yes, you are. We have more stories about that later. That's for another podcast. Yes. Um, so when you talk about it, it's, insurmountable the research did show though what we can do to support women in that place and what does make a difference for them so you know speak to that like because I'm 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 sitting I'm, I'm heavy and I think it's fine to sit in the heaviness of this for a while and at the same time what was so great about your research is there was hope in it there was a way that we can you know give support that's meaningful yeah absolutely um you know what they have said over and over and over again to us over the years through all this research is that they just need someone to talk to who is open and who will not judge them and who will just give them some space to talk about it and feel these things and, um, 
someone who doesn't have an agenda coming into it, who's, this is why sometimes it's even better to talk to a stranger about it, um, as opposed to a family member mm-hmm. or, a, or a friend, because when you are known by those people, they have opinions, they have, right. you know, beliefs about what is right for you or even what's right for them, yeah. for them, yeah. themselves and their own family. Yeah, I was going to say they're, they're going through their own emotional reaction if they're close to you when you're experiencing this. Mm-hmm. And when you say agenda in this context, it's not so much the political agenda, but like your own, like, I won't be okay if you do or don't. Right. Go through with this. That's what they, and they know that they said that in the research, Mm -hmm. like that's too heavy. They're dealing with all this heaviness. So to deal with someone else's Mm -hmm. heaviness, it's almost like they can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What's it do for them to have someone to talk to and and speak to this even scientifically and what you see in your research? Like, cause that seems so simple, right? But what's it do for them to have a safe person to talk to or a place to be heard? Well, first of all, if someone, if anyone is willing to just sit down with you and and be with you and listen to you, it automatically communicates that you have some sort of worth or value mm-hmm. because we don't we don't extend that to people who we don't care about. We don't right. we don't give time and resources mm-hmm. to people who like we have no interest in, right? right? So just whether it's a counselor or whether it's a, you know, an aunt or for anyone, if they'll just sit down and let you share and and ask you questions Mm -hmm. and let you answer questions and just kind of sit with you in this space, it already starts to um, mend some of the loss Mm -hmm. to herself Mm -hmm. and her identity. It already starts to help her. It sends a a new message Mm -hmm. to her that, that she does have worth and that she matters and her life matters and somebody cares. Um, and and then, you know, beyond that, it helps her to start to understand herself and what, what does she want and what is she capable of? Mm -hmm. And, um, starts to introduce the idea back to her, some belief in herself. You know, if, if you have some, some positive feedback from someone in your life as you're going through this. It, it, it changes the way you think about yourself and, and what you can do and how you can yeah. handle it, what you're capable of. So um, it's, it's interesting that even though they push people away because there's so much fear of judgment, right. what they deeply need yeah. is to connect with someone. Yeah. But that person needs to be... Mm-hmm. Um, safe yeah. and yeah. needs to give them space and and just be open and and not judgmental. You know, let's just hear this. Let's just, just tell me what's going on. Yeah. How are you feeling? What yeah. are you thinking about this? And I and I think that's the beginning mm-hmm. of um, her being able to just process what's going on and, and cope with yeah. it. And women notice the difference. I'm thinking of. Uh, a woman we worked with back in Chicago who said, instead of asking me, what am I going to do? That's what everyone was asking me. You know, her counselor said, what do you need? And Mm -hmm. I think that's something any of us can do, but we do move towards the solution. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? And just to be able to be okay in the space, like you said, and just say, how are you Mm -hmm. to be seen? And not because again, I think women, you know, in with all the political dialogue, it's, it feels like a, 
um, what's what I'm looking for. You're walking on eggshells. Yeah. You can't say anything. And, and, you, and you know, because you're going to be used as a pawn in one side or the other. But to really just lay all that aside and say, how are you? What do you need mm-hmm. is the best thing that we can can do. Right. And it also, I think, communicates, like you said, Lacey, her identity is so fractured and the shame is so great. And so just to sit and listen and be there with her is starting to communicate that this is about you. You're not a means to an end. You're not a, a meaningless vessel. You in in and of yourself are a person of worth and value. And you're communicating that just by, like you say, giving them the time and the space and just sitting with them and being there while they grieve and go through their process and ask questions and think different things and try to struggle and figure out what this means for them. And, and I think, you know, there's, there's two issues as you think about how this impacts your life and as you think about how do I enter into a future story with this. And one is, you know, am I emotionally and from an identity perspective, like how do I imagine myself in these future stories? And then the other aspect of that is practically, do I have the resources mm-hmm. to even – to even enter into that right. story. Like right. it's, it's not, that's not being selfish. That's, that's just reality. reality. Yeah. It's reality. And, and, and they have, they have to face that and they have to look into mm-hmm. themselves and they have to look into what, what access do they have to the things that they need yeah. to support themselves through a pregnancy to, you know, support a child if they were to choose to parent. And these are all things that are happening mm-hmm. in this moment, yeah. you know, all of these things um, that they don't have any choice but to be thinking about. Right. It's not like, you know, I'm, I won't think about that today. I'll think about that tomorrow. Because <laughs> again, like there's, there's a time factor yeah. involved. So it's not the kind of thing that they can say, I'll deal with this in six months, you know. Yeah. I'll put this off. I'll be in denial. It, it In yeah. this situation, it's not possible. Well, and this is why, you know, and I, again, I say this all the time. I'm, I'm grateful to be an American. I'm grateful for our political process. At the same time in this issue, hearing her deep needs, you know, sometimes we miss that by either saying you shouldn't have access to an abortion or you should have access to an abortion. There's a deeper thing going on Mm -hmm. with the unintended pregnancy that if we spend all our time arguing about that, we're not getting to what she's experiencing, what the judgments are in our culture, what the judgments are in our church, the lack of support for women, the role of men in this, like we're taking our, our eyes off Mm -hmm. what's really happening. And I think that's why we're so passionate about this research is let's get back to people's stories and try to really focus on what's going to make a positive difference for women and children rather than just focusing on the abortion decision because it's coming from Mm -hmm. all of these places of not feeling like they have any other choice. Right. And it's just, it's the beauty again of, of God connecting us and of this research that was, it is hard to hear and you do have to kind of sit with it for a while and, you know, the sadness and, and like you say, the complexity, but it was God revealing to us how we can meet her. And again, just as he did, and he was, you know, 
beautifully able to do it in the Gospels of meeting people right where they were at. So it's, it's allowing us to be able to do that as believers, as the church. Like it's giving us light onto this so that we can, again, take our focus off of maybe things that are missing her and going right to her, which is just like Jesus. I love it. You're helping us be more like Jesus. Yeah, you are, Lucy. See, and now you were dreading this. So I want to, my last question to you is, you said you dreaded it. You didn't want to do it 11 years ago. And then when you were telling us what, two days ago, the results of the newest research you did, you said you were so impacted. How did you phrase it? You're like, we were tearing our clothes oh, and sitting in ashes. ashes right? We were so moved by this. So, Which made me a little nervous, but maybe you can speak to that. How do you go from being so full of dread to feeling like this is, I don't want to speak for you, not your life calling. I mean, par, a big part of So passionate. Yeah, what yeah. God's calling you to do. Like, how's that journey been for you? How, how did that happen? Oh... You know, I as callings are <laughs> traditionally, it seems. You know, he calls us into something, but he doesn't ever lay out the full plan for no, us. You know, because we'd just, probably say we'd no. never do it oh, for sure. For sure, we'd say no. Um, we'd say no. Never mind. Um, but it's it's been step by step, and I think every you know, in his time, I think he's, he has given me, uh, and given you all, uh, through different research that we've done as much as we could handle mm. for that yep. season period yeah. or right, that right. season of time. Yes. Cause if he had given us all of it oh on gosh. that first project, mm-hmm. we, I, we would have been paralyzed yeah. by it all the right. weight of it. It's mm-hmm. just too much. too much, but I've seen over the past decade, um, He's revealed to us the question we need to ask, and then we go and we ask the question and we learn what he's, what he wants us to see, and then he shows us what to do with it. Mm-hmm. I say us, it's you. You all do it. Mm-hmm. I just, you, no, I just, you, I'm just no, giving I'm not, you the information. No, you but you all are, us. you all are. It's do, an us. I do it's feel like it is. Yeah. I, 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 That's I have, the highest compliment. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Is to say it's we. I do yeah. feel like I'm a part of your oh, team. Good. So. You are a part of our team. <laughs> You're in, and you can't get out I'm now. Speaking so it on it. a podcast that makes it true. <laughs> <laughs> but he, you know, he he shows us what he wants us to see, and he tells us what to do with it, and we do our best to do what he said, and then. It could be six months or sometimes it's been two or three years mm-hmm. and he comes back and he says, okay, now yeah. here's the thing yeah. that you need to learn. Yeah. And we go and we learn that. And, and, uh, I think he has, I, I look back on it and I just marvel. It's almost hard for me to tell the story to people mm-hmm. sometimes because it's, there's so much mm-hmm. and it's been so special and he's, I've seen him, um, just be so magnificent and so powerful through this whole process of guiding us step by Mm. step on this journey. We have no idea where he was taking Mm. us, but, but he's getting us to all these, you know, really fantastic places. And, um, and looking back on it now, I'm like, oh yeah, when he when he called us to do that research, we had no idea idea. (laughs) that it was going to be for this thing or that thing. Um, you know, but I remember that one, that one time kind of in the middle of all of this. And I I don't even remember why we, the specific objective for why we did the research, but we were talking to 
um, Keras donors and supporters and, and volunteers. And we were like looking at it from their perspective. I think you guys are always really good about wanting to understand the 360. Like mm-hmm. what is, what is the experience of working with whatever our organization is at that time? You know, what is it like from everyone's point yeah, of view? Point, yeah. And, um, so we were doing that research and I remember as I was pulling the findings together, I was, you know, making a PowerPoint, which is like the most mundane thing you can possibly (laughs) do. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit just hit me. It was like a bolt of lightning. Mm. I felt like my heart was going to explode and, um, like in a good way. And, um, (laughs) and he said, all of these stories are happening in parallel. They're all happening. Um, the women's stories, the children's stories, um, Karis's story, the donors' stories, the volunteers, everyone is experiencing some kind of transformation through this mm. work that I'm trying to do. And it's all happening in tandem, but it's happening like on different planes. Mm-hmm. And you all think that this work is about um, supporting women as they go through unexpected pregnancy, and it is. Mm-hmm. And you think this work is about... Um, reducing the number of abortions in America, and it is. But actually what you guys don't know yet is that this work is really about transforming the church. Mm. Wow. And helping the church to understand Mm. my grace and my love and what that really means and what that really looks like and what it needs to look like, when it needs to be, and like what is a more perfect expression of that Mm. in tangible ways. And um, I... Wow. You know, like that's a pretty decent PowerPoint. I I don't remember you telling me (laughs) that story. And that was definitely before we thought about launching ProGrace as a separate organization Mm -hmm. and and training. And that's amazing that he spoke that to you because that's the journey. And it was like a prophetic picture of of what was to come and what is to come. And isn't that just like God, like his... There's such a mystery in him and his plan and purpose is so much bigger than than we ever really know. But yet we get just to enter in one step at a time and like you say, receive what he gives us because he has the timing, he knows. Yeah. And and just to be a part of him, we don't know where it's going, but it's right. big because he's, he's big. And he's so full of grace. So I'm, I'm hearing you tell this story and we just discussed the word naive earlier in our training yeah. today. <laughs> And it's like, you know, I'm actually not going to be ashamed that we have been naive at a lot of places in this journey because, and so we would just ask for the next thing, Mm -hmm. right? You asked him, let me do something more meaningful, not even knowing what he's going to do. And we asked him, why are women, you know, what are they going through? Why are they having abortions? And then, so it's like, I just encourage all of us as believers, just ask Ask. him stuff because the way he answers back is so much bigger than what we prayed. And then it gives you the faith to ask a little bigger the next time to where now it's like, I do believe that the church is on the cusp of a transformation of understanding the grace of God. And in the stories that you've told us, Lacey, I, I just can't, underestimate how powerful the research you've done, the stories 
you've told us are so key to the journey for us as Christians being transformed. So like I was transformed by them and now we're seeing Mm -hmm. church leaders be transformed by them. So you definitely have to keep saying we, yeah, (laughs) because you are doing this with us. So amazing. Thank you so much. And I hope that, um, everybody who's listening just can feel the empathy. At least you have a way of talking. That's very, (laughs) it makes me talk a little softer and more empathetic, but just the empathy for women and to think about how can we just listen, have grace for ourselves first and then grace for others and see God change this conversation. Mm. Thanks everybody. 